You're listening to Green State, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, the agency responsible for restoring, maintaining, and enhancing the quality of Oregon's air, land, and water. On Green State, you'll hear about DEQ projects, programs, and emerging environmental issues facing Oregonians. Hi, everyone. Hope your new year is off to a good start. And welcome back to Green State, a podcast that discusses the ways the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality is protecting your air, land and water. I'm Lauren Wordis. And I'm Dylan Darling. And in case you forgot between 2021 and 2022, well, communication staff for DEQ, which is why we're here telling you about this work. What are we talking about today, Lauren? We're talking about DEQ's Climate Protection Program. You all out there may have seen this in the news recently because we just hit a major milestone. On December 16th, just a month ago now, the Environmental Quality Commission, DEQ's governing body, adopted the rules for this program. It's a big deal for Oregon, but before we dive in, let's back up a moment and talk about how this all got started. So how far back do we need to go, Dylan? Certainly before COVID times, which seems like a long, long time ago now. DQ has other programs like the Clean Fuels Program and the Oregon Clean Vehicle Rebate Program, which are all driving at the same essential goal, to create rules and incentives that reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And these programs have been going for a long time now. But the legislator voted to fund DQ to make these rules back in 2020. And we'll talk about those other programs you mentioned a little bit more in the future. In fact, next month, we'll be talking about electric vehicles. But back to the Climate Protection Program, folks may remember that it was March 10th, 2020, when Governor Brown issued Executive Order 2004, directing state agencies to take actions to reduce and regulate greenhouse gas emissions, or what you'll hear people refer to as GHGs. And that went along with this funding that the legislature approved. So what we want to do in this episode is take you through what this will mean to you, the listener. And thank you again for being a Green State listener. We talked with several people about what the Climate Protection Program will accomplish and how it will work and what this program means for business. And before we dig in, I just want to set the stage for the listeners about the impacts we see in Oregon because of climate change. The Oregon Climate Change Research Institute publishes an assessment of Oregon's climate every other year, and one just came out in 2021. We'll be linking to all that in the show notes. The Oregon legislature created this institute in 2007 to research and explain the likely effects of climate change on our state. I won't go into the details of the 2021 report, but here's a quick summary. Impacts. We're going to see an increase in Oregon's average annual temperature, more precipitation in the winter and less in the summer, and less snowpack that melts earlier. These impacts on our climate lead to hazards that will be sounding pretty familiar to Oregonians. Extreme heat, drought, wildfire, floods, harmful algal blooms, and changes to our coastal environments. I'm glad we were able to start with that context for where Oregon is at with climate change. I know we've all experienced some unusual weather for Oregon over the past 5, 10, 20 years, and we're seeing the effects of that all over the place. 
That's so true, Dylan. And while the best time to start responding to these things is always 20, 30 years ago, the next best time is right now. So let's get into the Climate Protection Program, and we'll start by hearing from DEQ's director, Richard Whitman. Good morning. My name's Richard Whitman, and I'm the director of the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality. And this is a significant action by the EQC to adopt these rules. It does get us with a um, pretty comprehensive program to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. There's a lot of implementation work left to do, and that'll be our focus here in 2022 and 2023. What will this mean for the kind of average Oregonian? That's it's a great question, Lauren. And I, I always try to put my head in that space of not being DEQ director, but just being, you know, an Oregonian. And what is this going to look like for me in five years and 10 years in, in 2035 and 2050? I, I think what we will see is we will see some small increases in gasoline and diesel prices. Um, but small. Even the study that was commissioned by the Oregon Farm Bureau in, in some industries projected a, an increase by 2050 of between 3 and 5% in gasoline and diesel prices. And, you know, some people may look at that and not be very happy about those price increases. But I think for most Oregonians, if you could tell them we're going to take care of greenhouse gas emissions from cars and trucks with only a 3 to 8% increase in gasoline and diesel prices over the next 30 years. Most people would say, wow, that's a pretty darn good result. And our own um, projections are that it may be even less than that. So I think, but I think there will likely be some modest increases in gasoline and diesel prices. Same thing in the natural gas sector. Uh, I think there is a, particularly after 2035, if we don't have new technology come online with things like green renewable hydrogen, renewable natural gas, then, you know, people who are currently heating their homes on natural gas are going to be looking at cost over time of switching to electricity and installing things like electric heat pumps. Those Electric heat pumps for home heating are already um, cost competitive with natural gas. So there'll be some upfront cost of converting, but once people convert, their cost of heating their homes actually should go down over time. Those are probably the main impacts that everyday Oregonians are going to see. The major goal of this program is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 50% in Oregon by 2035 and 90% by 2050. There are two other goals of the Climate Protection Program, and those include doing this in a cost-effective way so that we don't result in increases in um, cost of heating, cost of electricity, cost for industry that have severe economic consequences in Oregon. And then equity, also a program that takes into account the vulnerability of different communities to climate change and the historic burdens that um, communities have borne from, uh, particularly from air pollution. Uh, So having this program roll out in a way that takes into account um, not everybody's starting at the same place and people are facing threats to different degrees in different parts of the state. 
really appreciate how director Whitman was willing to tackle the topic of cost head on. I know that's something that's really been debated when people talk about this program and just you know, different ways of, of approaching it. And, and the nice thing now is that we do have some data uh, with these other programs that we've been doing that show what the impact's really been and, and what the change to cost is. And people can think about, is it worth the cost going up a little bit and, you know, think about it and have some information to, to look at. We'll be going much deeper into this uh, l- later on in this podcast. We've got some other sources who who discuss this but i uh, just feel interesting to think about and also really interesting to hear him bring up home heating it's a cost that you might not think is associated with uh the production of greenhouse gases but there there is a tie there yeah and hopefully you know nothing's going to change overnight but of course this can help everyone make make their decisions right and we've seen this in other programs like I think in our initial series, we also talked about um, uh, wood burning stoves and their impacts on air quality, and then a program developed to help people replace those. Um, Sort of similarly, uh, we have electric vehicles and we have a rebate program to just try to make things more accessible to help improve air quality for everyone. Next, we talked with Nicole Singh about how she's been working on the climate protection program from its initial conception through community engagement and rulemaking and now to a program that's real and live as of January 2022. So I'm Nicole Singh. I'm the Senior Climate Policy Advisor for the Office of GHG Programs. So the Climate Protection Program, it's it's a new regulatory program in the state, which is basically focused on reducing greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuels used in the state. Um, So the program is really targeted on things like gasoline, diesel, propane, and kerosene, and all the uses of those fuels. So the uses of those fuels in transportation, residential, commercial, and industrial settings, and really trying to create a program that can help reduce those emissions over time, really focused to help us deal with some of the worsening effects of climate change. Now, in terms of the process of how we got to the Climate Protection Program, we've spent basically the last year and a half um, reaching out to citizens of Oregon about how we should be designing this program. Um, So we had a series of workshops and town halls since almost the middle of 2020. And we kind of used a lot of that information. We had hundreds of Oregonians attend these meetings and give us feedback. And we use that scoping session, as we called it, to really focus on what should be the goals of the Climate Protection Program. You know, a couple of the goals that we identified as part of that process was, most importantly, significantly reducing greenhouse gas emissions, um, but trying to do this in a way that helps support equity and also to do it in a way that can contain cost as much as possible. Um, And then after that scoping session, we moved to what we call a formal rulemaking process. Um, And we received something like over 7,000 public comments on the program. Um, And at the end of last year, the EQC, the Environmental Quality Commission, basically voted to approve the Climate Protection Program to start this year. Again, we all use fossil fuels. You know, we use them in our cars. We use them in our homes. Our businesses use them. Our offices use them. So we are all, you know, consumers of these fossil fuels. Um, But the way the program actually works is the folks, the companies that are actually going to be regulated under the program, these are essentially the folks that bring those fossil fuels into the state. 
So that would be our like our three natural gas utilities for our natural gas, fossil fuel emissions, and then also what we sometimes refer to as like our liquid and propane fuel suppliers. So again, these would be the folks who are bringing gasoline, diesel, and propane and kerosene into the state. The program uses what we call a cap. And so again, if folks are not familiar, that's just like an overall limit on the number of emissions. And what's going to happen is over time, that cap is going to decline. And as it declines, that means that we're actually going to be reducing emissions across the state. Under the cap, we circulate out a certain number of what we call compliance instruments. And those compliance instruments are essentially the right to emit what is one ton of carbon dioxide equivalent emissions. We distribute those compliance instruments out to our to these companies that are in the program. And as that number goes down over time, it's going to overall reduce emissions from these fossil fuels. So we are targeting a 50% reduction by 2035 from where we're starting in 2022 and a 90% reduction by 2050. Um, you know, so we do get this question like, what does this mean for the average Oregonian? I would say you probably won't notice things right away because, again, you're using these fuels, but you're not actually being regulated directly under the program. But as these fossil fuel suppliers try to reduce their emissions and they might be doing things like increasing their use of biofuels, so these kind of alternative fuels instead of fossil fuels, that you're going to start to notice changes in more availability, more options for people across Oregon to have access to these alternative fuels. So people may not notice that it changes right away, but over time, we're hopeful that there's going to be more of these options available to consumers so that we can reduce our emissions across the state. How does this program interact with others, other programs at, at DEQ and meeting some of those goals that you just laid out? You know, take us into this interaction some. I mean, the Climate Protection Program, it's, it's, it's a significant driver in terms of reducing emissions across the state. But clearly, there's other programs in the state that are going to be focused on other types of sources that generate greenhouse gas emissions. But then also within the Climate Protection Program, there's tons of complementary programs that are going to help in, help in achieving the goals of the CPP. So like, for instance, we have a clean fuels program and the clean fuels program is really focused on, you know, reducing the carbon intensity of some of these fuels like gasoline and diesel. And that's been critical in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and transportation sector, electric vehicles, the expansion of electric vehicles, making electric vehicles available and more affordable for consumers across Oregon. Again, they're not being directly regulated by climate protection program, but as folks use more electric vehicles, there's less of a demand for these fossil fuels, and that therefore makes it easier to meet the goals of the CPP. So I like to say we're basically leveraging programs that are already in the state, and then we can kind of further incentivize more greenhouse gas emissions reductions with the CPP. You know, you mentioned equity as being a major goal. Can you go into that a little bit more and how the program accounts for that? In developing the goals for the program, we heard often that we needed to understand how the program could potentially hurt or promote equity, equitable outcomes. And when we're thinking of the program, you know, we we did design it in a way so that there could be some flexibility for these fuel suppliers. We have some components of the program, like they can trade compliance instruments. Um, but we also have a component of the program called the Community Climate Investments and essentially what that is, it's it's an option, a voluntary option for some of these covered fuel suppliers that if they're not able to reduce all of their emissions with their compliance instruments, they can purchase something called CCI credits. And essentially those CCI credits are given by DEQ, but the funds are actually given to a third party entity and a third party entity then invests those funds into projects and communities to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And the reason I'm talking about the CCIs is because it is 
it's one of those those components of the program that we are trying to particularly focus on promoting equity. Um, so I, I did want to point out, as you said, Lauren, you know, we know that there's groups that have been disproportionately impacted by, you know, air pollution. A lot of those same groups are also going to be disproportionately and are being disproportionately impacted by climate change. And a lot of those groups have traditionally been underrepresented in public processes. So we do talk about the fact that a key goal of the program when we're thinking about what the program should be achieving is environmental justice communities and promoting benefits in environmental justice communities. And then for us, our environmental justice communities, they are they are our communities of color. These are the communities experiencing lower incomes. This is tribal communities. This is rural communities and coastal communities. And so one of the goals of the CCI program is if covered fuel suppliers were to actually decide that they want to do this and pay some of these funds to receive these CCI credits, that we would prioritize the investment of those credits in these environmental justice communities. And that's also to reflect the fact that many of these communities, when we're thinking about transitioning off of fossil fuels, it's not it's not equal. Right. We know there's some communities where transitioning off of fossil fuels is easier. There's more infrastructure. There's more options. And so we do want to be mindful of when we're thinking of cost or disproportionate cost, we want to make sure that as we're transitioning off fossil fuels, we can do that as an equitable way as possible. How will you be evaluating the program and its outcomes over time to see if any changes need to be made? And I guess how flexible is the program to do that? So we do actually have, you know, we have in the rule itself, the Climate Protection Program, a program review in the rule itself, we talk about a program review every five years. Um, we also have a two-year program review specifically for the community climate investments. You know, we do want to look at the community climate investments in particular in terms of making sure that it's actually achieving greenhouse gas emissions reductions and that we're actually meeting the equity goals of the CCI program. Um, I will say the other thing we're obviously keeping our eyes on is, you know, fossil fuel prices in general. I mean, we obviously want to make alternative fuels as affordable as possible. And so that way people can choose to use affordable and clean fuels instead of fossil fuels. But we do want to be mindful that we're not making changes so abruptly that we could have some kind of unintended consequences or disproportionate impacts on different communities. What is it like taking on some of those challenges of being a leader and why might Oregon be suited to do this, be out at the forefront of climate policy? Well, I think, you know, Oregon has been a leader in this arena already. I mean, we have the GHG reporting program started in 2010. So that just shows you how important this was to the people of Oregon to think about climate change. So I actually think the state has already been a leader in this area. It's one of the reasons I actually have loved working on the climate protection program. Um, And again, clean fuels program, transportation fuels, I think Oregon is one of only two states to have a clean fuels type program. The experience of the state already being a leader in some of these areas helps inform the development of the climate protection program. And I do think that's why we saw such tremendous public engagement on the climate protection program throughout this process. So I think it allows the state to be even more forward thinking because it already has an experience of being a leader in this area. This is such a big, broad, sweeping program, and Nicole did such a great job trying to encapsulate the major keystone elements of it for us. I'm just impressed that all of that could be created and 
debated about and agreed upon all within the course of a year. And I'm really excited to see those innovations and options she was talking about um, that come out because of this program. As Nicole mentioned, it's really fun to work for a state that is leading the charge on something like climate change. Oregon is just definitely out there at the front of this issue. We'll definitely be revisiting the climate protection program in the future when we reach some of the valuation points that Nicole mentioned. And just to find out how we're doing with this program, if it's meeting its equity goals and the greenhouse gas reduction goals, touching on those goals, I just find it so cool that just it's built built into it to have ways to take into account all the different types of communities around the state, as Nicole highlighted so well. You're absolutely right. And I think that's probably part of what she mentioned about us, you know, learning from our past efforts and the ways that Oregon can build off of its own experience of being a leader in this state. And it's really fun, um, like she was saying, to get to work for a state that is leading this charge. And so now our final interview was with Tim Miller from Oregon Business for Climate. And Tim talked to us about how businesses are being impacted by climate change and why he thinks it's important for Oregon to take this leadership role. My name is Tim Miller, and I'm the director of Oregon Business for Climate. Oregon Business for Climate is a group of around 100 businesses that represent about 30,000 employees across Oregon. And really, it's a group that shares an insight or a, a principle, and that is that addressing climate change is an absolute imperative for our communities. We see that in so many ways, but it's also a tremendous opportunity for our economy, for our businesses in Oregon to develop solutions, to innovate, to create new business models, and to help address this global challenge. We are all seeing the impacts uh, on businesses from climate change, and, and the businesses in our group are experiencing those, but so are all the other businesses across the state with our fires and our smoke impacts and those impacts on health, the heat issues that are affecting our businesses that have a lot of people working outside, supply chain disruptions due to climate change, and then there's, of course, water supply issues. So a, a host of issues that are impacting businesses across Oregon's economy. A lot of businesses in Oregon recognize the responsibility of addressing climate change. Having an aggressive program to address climate change is what sparks innovation. If we're leading and moving down an aggressive uh, ramp to reduce our emissions, that's what sparks folks to come up with new ideas and new ways of doing business or new technologies or business models that help us create solutions. Having an aggressive program here really helps put us in a leadership position and creates those opportunities I was talking about. We hear a lot of concerns about prices raising for businesses, costs being passed on to consumers. You know, what are your thoughts on that? It, it seems like what a lot of critics point to a program like this is, oh, it's going to make it more expensive for businesses. It's going to make it more expensive for consumers. And, you know, that really hits people in a sensitive place, the pocketbook. So, so what, what's your reaction to that? You know, there is a lot of discussion about or concern about costs of proactive programs like this. And those concerns are legitimate in some sense, where there will be businesses that need to make investments and innovate and address challenges as they address climate change. But broadly, those concerns are exaggerated and short-sighted. 
they're exaggerated in the same way that we've seen a lot of actors, a lot of interests play from an old playbook that says, let's exaggerate the concerns. Let's make people scared about the costs of these programs. And that's happened in many cases, you know, way back uh, when I was young and, you know, the automakers were fussing about whether they could make cars safer for everyone and that it would make cars unapproachable and too expensive and all that. And we all know that that didn't happen. Right up to, you know, in recent years here in Oregon, businesses said that the clean fuels program was going to make fuels unaffordable and create all kinds of costs. And that didn't happen. It wasn't dollars. It was pennies. And that's very narrow-minded in the sense of when you're talking about global fuel prices and the cost of oil, it's a global phenomena. It's not driven by our programs here. On the short-sightedness side of things, those concerns often don't take into, into account the fact that if we move dollars from fossil fuels to clean energy solutions, that means dollars circulate here in our economy versus those dollars flowing out of our economy. And whenever we're talking about innovations and solutions and dollars circulating in our economy, that, of course, also translates into jobs in our economy. The other point to bear in mind that when people are concerned about costs is the real cost is what's happening to us every day in Oregon due to climate change. The fires, the smoke, the health impacts, the disproportionate impacts on people who are least able to bear those costs. So we really need to be careful and thoughtful when we talk about costs. Sure, some businesses have legitimate concerns about what they're going to need to do to invest and innovate and move forward to address climate change. And I hope we can come up with programs that make it as easy as possible for them to make those changes and investments. But broadly speaking, the concerns about costs are exaggerated and short-sighted. Well, Lauren, I... When I think about climate change, I'm usually thinking about it as an individual or as the state, as the whole world, you know, global warming. Uh, So it's really interesting to hear from Tim about the business perspective, just what it might mean if you were someone with a business and having to think about the health and safety of your employees, but then also business always comes down to the bottom line. So those expenses and everything. And so how addressing climate change in Oregon can be a good thing for business. Exactly. And I think, you know, what I feel like I really heard from Tim is that, you know, business is important. It's, you know, there's, we need Oregon to have a good, strong, successful economy, but not at the expense of some Oregonians. And, um, that's where I really feel like he he went with um, his perspective on this program and about why this can be really good. And as we see from this program itself and from the ways that Oregon businesses have acted in the past is that they are really innovative. And so I like I said, I look forward to seeing all of the options that come out of this because I really think that the businesses here can take an innovative and creative approach to solving this problem. And working at DQ, we know very well that if you put off a problem or don't address it, there can be a cumulative cost. And so for businesses, if you don't address those things that are impacting the environment, uh, affecting climate, eventually that cost will come back at you. 
Yeah, as we started out saying in this episode, the best time to start was 20 years ago, but the next best time is now. I'm sure we'll be revisiting this topic as implementation gets underway and we move towards that first benchmark of 50% reduction by 2035. I know we covered a lot today. Hopefully folks found this informative. Do please check out the show notes, which will have a lot of additional information and will link you to ways to stay informed or even get involved. All of our show notes are available at deqblog.com slash greenstate. Just go and click on the episode you're interested in. Next time, we'll be talking about electric vehicles. And I might even test drive a car or two to give you all the on the ground experience. That would be really fun, Juan. I know you've been thinking about making the switch, ha, pun intended, to (laughs) electric vehicles. And if you out there on Podland have purchased or leased an electric vehicle here in Oregon, especially if you've used the rebate program, we want to hear from you. So drop us an email at green.state at oregon.gov. That's G-O-V. Or leave us a voicemail by calling 503 Four five one zero five eight five. Thanks for listening to Green State. Thank you for listening to Green State, the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you get our upcoming episodes. You can listen pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Feel free to rate and review. And if you have any questions or ideas for topics for us to cover, you can reach us at 503 503- Four five one zero five eight five, or by email at green.state at organ.gov.